What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. I'm Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show's Twitter is at Locked on Vikings. You can also find my guest appearance on the Monday episode of Locked on NFL. Do go check that out, especially if you're starved for, like, actual Vikings analysis. You can, of course, find this show on any podcast app you like, and if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. And boy, everybody, we are getting down to it. We are getting down to the final players on the 90-man roster. We've been going through all of them and going over their backstories, where they came from, not necessarily previewing their performance on the field, but more talking about their lives and who they are. And we're so close to the end of it, and then once we get to the end of it, we can really talk about like roster predictions and a couple of other things that I have planned. I'm very excited for what's coming up next. Uh, but today, we are going to start with Dakota Dozier. And uh, by the way, I'm really sorry if it's supposed to be Dozier or it's something else. I- I'm going with Dozier. I think that's the the correct pronunciation. It's just my best guess. But if I'm wrong about that, I do apologize profusely. Um, so Dozier was raised by a single mother in a small town near Lexington, South Carolina. Like a lot of football players, uh, his mom was his hero. Her name was Evelyn Willis. She raised Dakota and his sister and managed a grocery store nearby. And like a lot of single mothers, she would work late nights, you know, she would really work her tail off to make sure that uh, Dakota was taken care of and his sister was taken care of and there was food on the table and, and all that good stuff, you know, doing the best that she could as a single mother. And there was one thing, though, that she would never pass up, and that was to go to one of Dakota's games at a small high school in South Carolina. And through all of this, she was in school trying to make herself better. So this was like a work ethic that is just a huge inspiration to Dakota. And it's a huge part of why he decides to work so hard, or or at least what motivates him to work so hard through high school and through college and even into the NFL. So he goes to Brooklyn Case High School in Case, South Carolina, and it is a tiny school that has never produced an NFL prospect outside of Dakota, eventually. So it shouldn't be surprising that Dakota Dozier ends up being an unranked recruit and doesn't really get any calls from any of the big schools, and he ends up going to Furman University near his home. But it wasn't for lack of ability, it was just kind of for lack of exposure, and this is something that as we've gone through all of these, it really is a thing. There's a lot of hidden talent everywhere that just recruiters didn't see, or maybe they had a bad day when the recruiters did see them, and and it wasn't representative of who they are. In any case, he ends up at Furman University, and he starts 44 games out Outside of an ankle injury here or there, he is basically an Iron Man for them, and he starts at left tackle. Now, it's not uncommon for players to be asked to move inside uh, in the NFL, you know, especially guard or tackles that like have more of a guard build or whatever. And in 2014, that's exactly what he does. Now, for a guy from Brooklyn Case and and Furham University, which I'm pretty sure you have not heard of until this very moment, it's very impressive that he ends up getting drafted in the fourth round. He's a small school prospect, and, and I think that he kind of elicits that maybe he's a hidden talent, like that's the kind of vibe that he gives off. So, you know, he's watching the draft with his family and he gets a call and he sees like New York area code and he's wondering like, okay, this could either be the Giants, the Jets or the Bills. And he picks up the phone and it's Rex Ryan, who is the coach of the Jets in 2014. And they draft him and he's excited and it's time to go to work. And so his rookie season passes by fairly quietly. 
but I want to take you to minicamp in his sophomore season. It's June 10th, 2015, and second day of minicamp wraps up, and a sore, tired Dakota Dozier heads back to his apartment and decides he's going to rest, relax, you know, think about what he's going to eat, and he gets a call from his grandfather. And he picks up the phone, and his grandpa says there's been a car accident. Uh, Your mother was driving home from her cousin's funeral and got an accident, and she didn't make it. And in that moment, everything turns upside down. His friend, his confidant, his inspiration, his role model is gone in the blink of an eye. This obviously is going to put a lot into perspective for him, but he ends up dedicating the season to his mother and plays it in her memory. Now, obviously, he's still just a backup. Uh, It's only his second season. He's only a fourth-round pick. He plays center, which at the time, the Jets have Nick Mangold, so he really is just kind of waiting in the wings as a reserve player. Um, But, you know, the, the gravity of it is unaffected by that, I would say. Now, he will get on and off the field uh, for spot duty for a couple of years after this, and in 2017, he actually does make a few starts in place of an injured guard elsewhere on the roster, but roughly, he just kind of sits and and waits in the wings, and he makes the team, and and he is a backup lineman. Now, if you remember the 2017 Jets, uh, they had a lot of turmoil in their offensive coaching room. Uh, The offensive coordinator was fired after that year, and everybody else was cleaned out. At the same time, Gary Kubiak had uh, retired, and his whole clan had kind of gone their separate ways, which leaves a guy by the name of Rick Dennison looking for a job in 2018. And at the same time, Dakota Dozier re-ups for one more year with the Jets on kind of a you-have-to-make-the-team style contract. Now, this obviously won't be the end of coaching woes in New York, but for Dakota Dozier, he ends up meeting and hitting it off with Rick Dennison, and they actually, you know, establish a little bit of a relationship in 2018. He makes the team. He comes in and and still plays in that same kind of spot duty role. 2017 was the only time he actually ever started games, and at the end of the 2018 season, the Jets decide not to re-up again. And by the way, Rick Dennison also isn't going to re-up with the Jets, who are completely cleaning house and and bringing in a whole new offensive staff with Adam Gase and doing the whole thing that they did this offseason. So Rick Dennison ends up reuniting with uh, Gary Kubiak in Minnesota, and free agency comes around, and Dennison says, hey, I kind of know a kid who's actually pretty good and kind of a, a, a secret good backup. Let's bring him in. And so Dakota Dozier ends up on the Vikings, and now he is in probably perpetually, unless he has, like, a chance to actually start games and plays well, like if there's an injury or something and he takes advantage of it, he's probably stuck in a perpetual loop of just, like, trying to make the team. And he is one of those guys that's, like, right on the bubble. If you think about the principal five, the the, the five kind of entrenched starters with uh, Drew Samia and Rashad Hill, and you can kind of lock those guys into the roster as well, the Vikings typically keep nine or ten total offensive linemen, meaning there's two or three spots, and Dakota Dozier is right up there with guys like Oli Udo or Brett Jones uh, trying to compete for those positions, like Cornelius Edison. Uh, He plays guard and center, and that kind of puts him in that same category as, like, a Brett Jones, and I would guess that there's basically a direct competition between, like, those three people for the next interior backup offensive lineman spot, and, like, Danny Isidoro's probably in there, too. It's definitely a crowded group, and, you know, Dakota Dozier, I mean, he's made the team on the Jets five years running, so uh, a training camp where he's has his roster spot challenged is not going to be something that he is unfamiliar with. 
but ultimately I think his career has already been defined as a successful one, considering where he came from and what he's gone through and and the way that he is still, I mean, putting a career together in the NFL, uh, that's quite the accomplishment. And I'm going to guess that, that nobody from Brooklyn Case is uh, going to accomplish this kind of career in the NFL anytime soon. So I am going to step away to an ad break. And when I come back, we will talk about the next player on the list. I will see you in a second. Okay, welcome back. So next, we are going to talk about Mike Boone. Boone is actually the last running back of uh, of the series. We've done everybody else, so we are definitely getting down to it. So Mike Boone wasn't recruited very much uh, out of Florida, his uh, his Florida high school. Um, he mostly played receiver, and he actually kind of took a lot of pride in being a, a physical receiver. But despite being five ten, he was kind of a little a little bowling ball of a receiver, and that was his unique style and it didn't get a lot of attention. He did end up at Cincinnati and that was by far the best of his offers. And when he gets there, the coaches say, you're going to move to running back. We don't think that you have, uh, I mean, he's only 5'10". We don't think that you can overcome that height. And so we're going to move you to running back. Uh, And at first he's, you know, of course, a little bit overwhelmed and that's a lot to learn, but hey, we're going to give you a, fresh, a red shirt freshman year and you'll be able to learn it. And he thinks, okay, you know, I was a physical wide receiver and I like to pop guys. And so, you know, hitting a linebacker in the hole is not that bad. You know, every time you're, when you're a running back, you, you get the ball way more. That's great. And he kind of eventually gets really excited about the role. And so he starts his, his freshman year learning, but on the bench behind two other people, he probably won't see the field. I say probably, because as it happens, the starter gets injured, and then the backup gets injured, and then suddenly it is time for Mike Boone to hit the field as a running back, and it's time for a crash course and just get the heck out there, and he pulls it off. He produces really well in that season, and he ends up being a a stalwart for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And so he has like a reasonably productive career at Cincinnati, especially freshman and sophomore years. He really takes over and then he's just kind of the bell cow throughout the rest of his time there. Uh, But after all, he's still a two-star recruit from a high school that doesn't have a lot of prestige. He switched positions. There's a lot of reasons for NFL teams to like not look at this kid coming out of college. And and he kind of understands that. And so he knows, like, hey, listen, I'm going to sign up for the draft. I know I'm not going to get drafted. We'll see if we can get a a team to to bite after the draft, and and we'll kind of see where things go from there. It further confirms this notion when he is not invited to the NFL Combine. And for many a college player, this spells doom. It means they're only going to get a minicamp invite, or they're going to get an undrafted free agent contract but never make a team. And and, and a lot of careers just kind of flame out right then, then and there. But that's why pro days exist. So now Mike Boone has a point to prove because he knows he's talented and he knows he's athletic, but he doesn't get to go to the combine and he basically has to go blow away the pro day to get any chance of getting with an NFL team. So he signs on with a place called Landau Performance, which has this crazy reputation. They they were the ones that rehabbed Peyton Manning's neck. His lifting partner was Taven Bryan, a defensive tackle who got drafted in the first round that year. They have Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, all these names coming in and out. And so Mike Boone signs on here. He gets there and his broad jump at Landau Performance is 10 foot seven. Okay, not bad, not, not great. 
and a 37-inch vertical. And he trains and trains in uh, this facility in Colorado, away from where he goes to school and away from home. And the pro day finally comes. His broad jump that day, 11 foot 7. He puts a whole foot on it just training for this. And he puts 10 inches on his vertical where he jumps 47 inches. Those numbers are lights out. They're completely out of this world, and they put Mike Boone on the map. Now, of course, he still doesn't get drafted. He still just doesn't quite have the profile to get all the way into the draft. But the Vikings call him, and they say, we want you to come in as an undrafted free agent and see if you can't make the team. Now, a lot of Mike Boone's story as we know it takes place in the preseason of 2018 because that's where we as Vikings fans become most intimately familiar to him. But he comes in with this kind of reputation, right? As like he was a wide receiver, so he should be good at pass catching. He was kind of a scat back type at Cincinnati. He comes in and he's basically got two principal members of his competition. There's Mac Brown, a veteran from Washington, and a fellow undrafted free agent in Rock Thomas, who we've already talked about. And of course, you know how this story ends up, but it doesn't start like it's looking like both Mike Boone and Rock Thomas are going to make the team. If you remember that first game against Denver, Rock Thomas completely blew up. He got like two touchdowns. Mike Boone barely touched the ball. And by, by that time, Rock Thomas had already become the headline of the day with like this huge, long, like 60 some yard breakaway touchdown. He looked really fast on it. And so entering that second preseason game, Mike Boone is behind and he had also missed a little bit of time with an injury and he had some catching up to do. Well, he caught up, and, and over the course of the two games against Jacksonville and Seattle, he exploded, getting plenty of reps because the Vikings were still being very cautious with Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray, both of whom were dealing with injuries, so both Rock Thomas and Mike Boone got lots and lots of run in that preseason, and Mike Boone played very well in the two games where he actually had an opportunity to. In, in the meantime, Mac Brown uh, the other member of the competition had been hurt and in and out, and he had kind of fallen away to last on the depth chart, and it basically became a competition between Rock Thomas and Mike Boone. And so the preseason comes to a close, and Mike Boone, of course, gets the call, and he ends up on the team for the entire 2018 season. He even gets a little bit of run in the regular season, but mostly he's just there as a reserve, and Rock Thomas makes the team as well. So here we are in 2019 with a little bit of round two of this particular position battle. You have the top two running back spots essentially locked up with Dalvin Cook and Alex Madison. And then you have probably one running back spot. The Vikings typically keep three running backs, four if you include the fullback position, but that's kind of a separate thing. They typically keep three running backs or halfbacks, I guess you'd call it. They kept four last year because you could call it that like Mike Boone and Rock Thomas tied and this is going to be, you know, round two and we'll see who actually comes out on top this time. Maybe they'll keep four again, but we'll see considering the way that Mike Boone approached his pre-draft process and, and the kind of realism that he kind of, he knew he wasn't going to get drafted and that he had to go above and beyond to, to get the attention of an NFL team. And I think he's in a similar situation. He is not guaranteed a roster spot. He's not going to start and he's going to have to go above and beyond to ascend above Rock Thomas, who, by the way, is suspended for four games. So even if Mike Boone loses the position battle, he still might get the roster spot for four days. But he also has to overcome Amir Abdullah, a former second round pick, or sorry, third round pick, with a lot of experience in the league. That running back battle is going to be something that is at the forefront of the preseason, obviously, because running backs touch the ball all the time. We're going to see a lot of them, and it's going to be really fun to watch because I think between those three people, you only really get to keep one of them. So I am going to step away to a quick ad break, and when I come back, we will talk about 
the last player of the day. But first, I want to talk to you all about the sponsor of this episode, BlueChew.com. Fellas, you got to take intimacy seriously in a relationship. If you let beautiful, spontaneous moments pass you by because your body can't keep up or get ready in time, or even if you're perfectly healthy and you just want an increase in performance in the bedroom, you got to go check out BlueChew.com. It is the first chewable tablet of its kind, but it still has all the same FDA-approved ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you are familiar with its effects. But as it is a chewable tablet, it works twice as fast as a pill, so the moment won't pass you by. Guys, do yourself and your partner a favor. Go check out BlueChew.com and take yourself seriously. You deserve it. Okay, welcome back. So I want to take you back to the year 2002 when Daniil Hunter is just eight years old, and he's sitting with his dad watching football, having absolutely no idea what's going on. Uh, Daniil Hunter did not know what football was until 2002, when his dad was watching a game and was yelling something about Michael Strahan and something called a sack, and he wanted to know what was going on, and he was instantly hooked. Now, I say dad because that's what Daniil Hunter calls him, but this is actually his stepdad. We'll get to all that in a second. Daniil's mother got pregnant with him at the age of 18, and his father wasn't too much in the picture, so he basically was raised, again, by a single mother. At the time, they lived in Jamaica, and his mom wanted a better life, so she decided she was going to try to move to America. But that's not the easiest thing to do when you have a little one. You have to make sure that you have enough money to to keep him supported, so there was a kind of tough choice to make. She either had to go to America and leave her son in Jamaica and try to, you know, kind of establish her roots, you know, get a job, get an apartment, make sure everything's set up. You can't really do that when you have a little one in tow. And so she either had to, like, leave him there for a few months and go do that, or try to make something happen remotely from Jamaica that then you can go move to. Either way, it's a really difficult thing to go do. So luckily, she has a her mother in New York that she can go leave Daniil with while she goes and gets herself set up. And so as Daniil Hunter is eight years old and six months after the initial move, his mom moves to Texas and moves in with the man that she would eventually marry, and eventually Daniil will go down and join him. And so that is the kind of context of, you know, oh, this here's this new man and he watches this thing called football. What's that? And he falls in love. So fast forward to a year later, he's playing with his best friend whose name is Jamal Holmes. And Jamal Holmes is on roller skates running away while Daniil Hunter chases him down and they're playing tag. And his father, Jerry Holmes, watches this nine-year-old boy chase down another nine-year-old boy who is on roller skates and barely break a sweat doing so. Now, as it turns out, Jerry Holmes is a youth football coach, and he takes one look at that and says, hey, you should play. So Daniil Hunter starts out at left tackle, of all things, and then moves around everywhere on on the field over the course of his career, all the way through high school and stuff, and eventually settles at defensive end, but when he first dresses up and he and he you know puts on the shoulder pads and he gets to go hit people, it, it like scratches an itch that that Daniel Hunter didn't even know he had, and so the passion for the game then starts to come out, and at that moment, you, that's when you can kind of see that a, a light switch clicks on and a superstar NFL career is in the making. So it won't surprise you that the athletic freak that is Daniel Hunter ends up being a four-star, highly recruited prospect at a high school, and he ends up going to LSU. And there he kind of gets a reputation as a quiet kid. Neil Hunter was always a quiet kid. He just isn't the kind of person that's like particularly boisterous or takes over a room or anything. He just has that kind of quiet confidence and almost a like kind of silent assassin like presence to him. There was an interview with uh, Les Miles, who was his coach at, at the time 
who essentially said that like he his game does all the talking for him and i know that's like this horrible cliche but it is essentially the the point that he was making was like he plays very well and he sets an example and he doesn't say a word and and it's like one look of eye contact and it just screams you know play up to my standards and that's the effect that he has everywhere on that lsu defense and a lot of other players including guys like tayshawn bauer end up having careers in the nfl he just has this like commanding presence and you know when he does decide to speak up or say something you can kind of feel a hush fall over the whole locker room you know Daniel is talking it is time to listen and of course as any quiet kid does you know his teammates would all rib on him a bunch and it's all in good fun and stuff but they all kind of make fun of him because he is an insane looking person I mean you've seen the pictures the crazy stuff about his arms and all that he's just an insane looking person and they see the the, the care that he takes for his body and everything and you know and of course they're gonna poke a little bit of fun at him about that and so of course with any NFL athlete uh, diet is gonna be a huge thing and Daniel Hunter actually cooks for himself all of the Jamaican recipes that his mom would cook for him at least this was in college. I'm sure that he has, uh, he, he's involved in all the like team nutrition stuff nowadays. So I'm sure his mother would be proud, you know, healthy habits. But if you remember uh, when he came out for the draft, I mean, he has this ridiculous combine and he has these insane measurements, right? But he doesn't quite have the production at LSU. If you remember, this was like a whole narrative surrounding him. And this isn't so much about like his personal story, but I think it's important because it's the reason that a freak like Daniel Hunter and somebody that I think if you could go back, I mean, you see all those 2015 redrafts, he's a top five pick. Uh, and he falls to the third round because he like doesn't have a lot of sacks. The Vikings see through this, and they select him as like the raw guy. And of course, as with every defensive lineman that we've talked about, he is excited to go work with Andre Patterson, the legendary defensive line coach that is responsible for like John Randall. And by 2015, you know, Everson Griffin and Brian Robeson, and I mean, his, his resume is insane. And so that same level of dominant play continues, and he picks up extra pass rush moves and he learns new craft and he essentially allows Andre Patterson to work his magic and he blossoms into this like full-fledged superstar edge rusher but his reputation as that kind of quiet you know let my play do the talking type guy I mean you see it you don't see him flying around on the field or or being very loud or getting out in front of the camera like uh, Everson Griffin does or like Eric Kendricks does it's a personality very similar to Harrison Smith I actually think there's kind of a camaraderie there between the two but the same dynamics are always in play and even among a crowd of elite NFL defenders, Daniil Hunter still somehow sticks out as the most athletic guy in the room. So they call him create a player because his number is 99. It's like you made a player in Madden and you set all of his stats to 99. And now he's signed, you know, that big contract that he signed last year. And he gets to move forward as one of the leaders on this team for years and years to come. So. That is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. We will come back tomorrow with one more episode, and then we'll be done for the week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings, especially handy in the car. Thank you all so much for listening, and as always, skull. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. 
Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.